Well, today we're going to start a brand new series for the summer. And this series is called Things That God Uses to Grow, to Grow Our Faith. And as I kick off this series, I want to ask you to use your imagination. If you had enough coffee to use your imagination, all right, okay, you're all right. I want to ask you to use your imagination, and I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you had absolute, unwavering confidence. Number one, that there really is a God. Number two, that God knows your name personally and loves you more than you can imagine and had absolute, non-wavering confidence that he will carry you through everything that comes your way. What would your life be like if you really had that kind of faith, that kind of trust, that kind of confidence in God every moment of every day, no matter what hit you? What would your life be like? The kind of faith that when something is going really, really bad, you say, well, God, there's nothing I can do about this, but God, I trust you to carry me through this. Or the kind of faith that, that says when something's really, really tempting, you say, God, I don't know how I'm going to say no to that, but I have absolute faith that you will empower me to say no to that and yes to you. Or the kind of faith that when something goes really, really great in your life, you, you say, God, I know that when great things happen in some people's lives, they often get blown off course with you. When all of a sudden they have way too much money, or all of a sudden they have way, way too much free time. But God, I know that it's you that brought this blessing into my life. And so I have absolute faith that you are going to keep me on course with you, even in this great blessing. Just imagine what your life would be like if you had that kind of absolute faith, no matter what happened to you in this life. That even when things got worse and worse and worse, you just said, God... You know what's hitting me, but I'm trusting you to give your peace that's beyond all comprehension to me. Imagine experiencing that genuine peace no matter what's happening in your life. Imagine experiencing no fear no matter what's happening in your life. Imagine experiencing no anxiety, no piercing shot through your stomach when something happens in your life. Because you have absolute faith in God, absolute confidence in God that he, by his power, will carry you through. Imagine having no fear about your kids. Now, that's a big one. Amen. <laughs> Imagine having no fear about your marriage relationship, no fear about your finances. Even though something or several somethings are not going your way because you have this absolute faith that God is with you that your God is for you, and that your God will see you through. Imagine having that kind of faith. If you had that kind of faith, people would walk up to you, and they, they would go, how in the world, seeing what you're going through, how in the world can you be so at peace? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, maybe you've met some people that have that kind of absolute faith and confidence in your life. But here's the deal. You can have that kind of faith. You can have that kind of confidence in God. No matter what hits you in life, you can have that. I like to say it this way. You can rest when everybody else is rattled. 
because of your faith being so strong in God. But if that's not where you are this morning, I'm here to tell you that's exactly where God wants to take you. He wants you to have that kind of faith. And I know that's true because throughout the entire Bible, through, throughout all of Scripture, God is simply trying to build into his people an extraordinary, over-the-top, absolute confidence and faith in him. But even in the first book of the Bible, with the very first man and the very first woman, we find that we are constantly tempted to not have absolute faith in God. We find that when we choose to not have faith in God, that things blow up and things go wrong. So as we begin this morning, write this first thing down. Our relationship with God is broken when we stop trusting God. And in the first book of the Bible, we find that out through the first man and woman. In the beginning, the broken relationship between God and man, between Adam and Eve, wasn't simply a matter of disobedience by Adam and Eve, by them eating the fruit of the one tree that God said, don't you eat from that one. You can eat from everything else, but don't you eat from that one. But the issue was their refusal to trust what God said. So they looked at that tree, kind of like this. <laughs> they stared at that tree and they looked at, oh man, that fruit looks better than fruit on any other tree. And they looked at that tree and, and they decided, God, you must be withholding something really good from us. God, we don't think you really know what's best for us. That tree looks best for us. And God, when you said you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, God, when you said that, we just don't trust that what you said will really happen, that we'll really die. God, we just don't trust that. But they ate from that tree, and their relationship with God was broken over the issue. Look at this, not disobedience, over the issue of trust. Their trust in what God said. Their lack of trust, their lack of confidence in what God said and himself. But God's harsh desire is to draw you and me into a relationship where we have absolute faith in him. Complete faith. Because God, what does he want for you? He wants you to have really, really, really big faith in him. In short, he wants you to live life without fear. He wants you to live life doing amazing things in his name because you've got big faith in him. And so God wants you to kind of blow up your faith like this. He wants you to blow up your faith like a big balloon. <laughs> He doesn't want you to have the, the little tiny faith of a mustard seed, and yes, that's effective, but he wants your faith to, to get big and to blow up and be like a blown-up balloon, to expand the faith that you have today into even a bigger faith. And so write this down. How's that happen? Well, Jesus invites us to re-enter a trust relationship with God. Maybe even though we've blamed God for things happening in our life and we've pulled away and we've broken a relationship, Jesus invites us to re-enter into a trust relationship with the Father. Now, now, maybe at one point in your life you really did trust God, but then something went wrong in your life and you blamed God and you decided to just turn and stop trusting. And maybe you're still coming to church, but you're really not trusting you really don't have big faith in him. 
But Jesus invites you to re-enter a trust relationship with God the Father by saying, God, I welcome you here completely, my whole self. Come, God, fill every part of my life. Now, your relationship may have been broken with God through your lack of trust in him, like Adam and Eve's did. But your relationship with him can be restored by replacing your trust in him. But he also wants your trust and confidence in him to grow. He wants it to get bigger. So what is God trying to do with your faith? He's trying to make it simply big. (laughs) Amen? He's trying to make it huge. And why does he want it to be so big? It's because when you really place your trust in him, great things can happen in your life. When you're really trusting God, great things can happen for you. And there's some great stories, a couple of great stories about that in the Bible. And they're both found in Matthew chapter 8. They're found in all the Gospels. But right here in Matthew chapter 8. And these are the only times in the Bible where it says that Jesus was truly amazed by what somebody else did. Now Jesus was always amazing people with what he did. But this is the only place in the Bible and the other Gospels, the only stories in the Bible you'll ever find where Jesus was truly amazed and astonished by what somebody else did. Only time you'll see it or hear it, where Jesus is kind of going, whoa, (laughs) I didn't expect that. I, I haven't ever seen faith like that. Wow. Look at this. Here's story number one. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love this passage. So here's this guy with leprosy, shunned by everybody in that day, open weeping sores, leprosy. He busts through the crowd, and he kneels before Jesus, and he says, I don't know if you'll do it or not, but I believe you can. (laughs) I don't know if you'll do this or not, Jesus, but I believe you can. Will you make me clean? Folks, that's big faith. Amen? That's big faith. First of all, just to show up as a leper in a crowd like that and to stop Jesus. But secondly, to say, I know you can. That's big faith. And the Bible goes on and says this. Then Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man that wasn't done in those days. He says, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Folks, that's amazing. Right there in front of everybody's eyes, these lepers' spots heal immediately. Everybody say, wow, with me. (laughs) Wow. And I'm sure the crowd there that day was was cheering and clapping because they'd just seen a really, really sick man put really big faith in Jesus. And they, they had just seen Jesus express great compassion by actually touching this man covered with sores, and once again, they'd seen somebody immediately healed. They were used to seeing Jesus to do that, and they loved seeing Jesus do that, but they had seen it before. And so it wasn't such a big deal for the crowd anymore. Imagine the guy had a lot of faith to even ask Jesus to touch him and to express such big faith. If you're willing, I know you can do it. But the crowd, they'd seen it all before. They'd seen Jesus do that before. And so I imagine as they saw this happen, they were kind of like the crowd at the Masters Golf Tournament. 
when somebody puts in a birdie on the 18th for a win. Good job. But they'd seen it before. They'd seen it done a million Masters golf tournaments before, and so it was really no big deal. Good job, Jesus. Yeah, good win for the leper. All right? Awesome. But then the Bible says this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, another guy, a centurion came to him. Story number two, asking for his help. Now, a centurion is a Roman soldier who has 100 men assigned to him. And those men do whatever he tells them to do. They have to follow his orders. And the Roman soldiers were bad guys. It kind of looked like this in those times. Maybe you saw that movie. But that's what the armor kind of looked like. They were the bad guys of the time. They had invaded the Jewish people. They were the enforcers. They were the tax collectors. They were the bad guys. And so the centurion, when he came to Jesus, probably didn't come alone. He probably had his soldiers with him. So the disciples were probably thinking, as all these soldiers marched in, all their armor on, all their swords, everything, we are so busted. <laughs> are we not supposed to do this in public? What? We're in big trouble. So the disciples are probably thinking that. But then suddenly... This invading, intimidating, armed-to-the-eyeballs centurion blows everybody's mind away. He asked Jesus for a favor. Asked Jesus for help. Look at this. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now, at this point, those surrounding Jesus that day were probably thinking, your servant Roman guy, invader, intimidator, your servant's suffering? Good. <laughs> I hope he dies. Or I hope he's in contagious, and I hope you and all your family and all your friends die. They hated the Romans. They had made the Jewish people's lives miserable. And they, they were probably saying to Jesus, the disciples, come on, Jesus, forget these Romans. Let's go help out some good Jewish people, okay? Let's go help ourselves. But look at this. Jesus looked him in the eyes and said to him, Shall I come and heal him? But then the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And now at this point, those of Jesus that day were probably thinking, Well, the Roman centurion got that one right. No, you don't deserve to have Jesus come under your roof. But then the centurion went on and said, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus, you don't even have to come under my roof. Just say the word. And I know he'll be healed. In other words, Jesus, I've been watching you. I've seen you around. And I believe that you can heal him long distance if you choose to. In our day, we'd say, Jesus, we think you can do it wirelessly, Okay. <laughs> Jesus, you could just do it Bluetooth or whatever. Jesus, you, could, you don't even have to come. You can heal him without even touching him like you did the leper. If you choose to, you can do it right here, right where you're at. So at this point, those of Jesus on that day had to be thinking, wow, that's big faith. Big faith. Now look at this. The centurion goes on and he says this. This is why I believe. I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I, I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So the centurion is saying to Jesus, I'm under Rome. 
And if my men do what I say, they do it because I represent Rome. And therefore, Jesus, I believe that sickness will do what you say because of who you represent. Catch that? Now, I don't know whose authority you're under, he's saying, or who you represent, but from what I've seen, I believe you can heal him right here. You don't need to come to my house to heal my servant. And the Bible goes on and says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And the Greek word there is thamazo, which means Jesus, when he heard this, was amazed. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Slap in the face to all the Jewish leaders, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees that knew the word frontwards and backwards, the Old Testament. Slap in the face to the disciples. I haven't found anybody that follows me with such big faith. He was amazed. You know what blows the mind of Jesus? Big faith. You know what causes Jesus to act? Big faith. So here's a guy who's from another country who's probably still worshiping who most of the Romans worshiped, a false god named Zeus, who's an enemy of the Jewish people, but he's also a guy that had big faith that Jesus could heal his servant. Now listen close. The thing that most honors God is your faith in him. The thing that honors God the most is when you express, God, I am trusting you. I don't have the answers. I don't understand everything. But God, I am trusting you. That honors God. Write this down. When our trust is growing, we are growing spiritually. We don't think about this much in the church. You see, growing spiritually is about our trust in God growing which involves learning more of who God is or gaining knowledge about who he is and living it out or obeying it. But listen close. Bible knowledge alone doesn't grow you spiritually. In fact, if all you're into is learning the word of God and making sure you can memorize so many scriptures, that tends to make you proud. Like, I got it wired. I know it all. Knowing the Bible alone can make you proud. Obeying what the Bible says alone can make you judgmental of others and legalistic. Why can't they just do it right? But a growing trust in God keeps you focused on God, not on you. Not on what you're learning, not on what you're doing. It keeps you focused on God. So the gauge to whether or not you are growing spiritually is whether or not you are growing in your trusting of God. Trusting God to keep his word, to keep his promises to you. And if you are growing in your trusting, that's, folks, when you're growing spiritually, when your faith is growing. Amen? So that leads to this question. If God wants you to have big faith, what is it that causes your faith to grow? What is that thing that causes it to grow into big faith? Well, today I want to introduce you to five things that will really grow your faith. Five things that we're going to unpack in the next five weeks. We're going to go deeper these next five weeks. 
And why are we going to do this? Well, so you can grow a faith in God that is bigger and stronger than you have today and a faith that will allow you to be full of peace when all kinds of things hit your life and a faith that will allow you to do amazing things, to step out for God and do amazing things for Him because you have faith in Him that as you do, He'll meet you. He'll strengthen you. He'll enable you. Here's number one. To keep our trust growing, God uses five ingredients. I already said that. But there may be a few others, but here's five. And here's the first thing that will help you grow your faith. Practical teaching. So when I said you may have all the knowledge in the world of the Word of God, but you can't grow in faith if you just have that alone, I'm not putting down practical teaching. God uses the teaching of His Word to expand our faith in Him. Because the teaching of the truths of His Word show us where we are and where we're not. It shows us where we are and where we need to go with God. And so that does help us grow our faith. But then the second thing that grows your faith is this, providential relationships. God uses relationships with other people to expand our faith because those relationships allow us to hear from God through others. God uses people. God puts people on our path. God lets us hear the story of other people and how he's worked in their lives. And as you hear their story and watch how they live for him and you see how God blesses them, God uses those relationships to grow your faith as well. The third thing that grows your faith is this, private disciplines. God uses private, personal, spiritual disciplines to help expand our faith in him. Those disciplines keep our hearts in tune with God's heart. So it's kind of like this. When you read the Bible privately, I hope you don't just put it on the shelf when you leave Sunday and don't pick it up till you come Sunday. And, and whether it's in your phone that you have your Bible or, or wherever it is, I hope you read it. And when you read the Bible privately, God shows you just what you need that day. And when you listen to God privately, God speaks to you by His Spirit and He encourages you in some way. When you pray privately, God hears your prayers, and you get the, the blessing of seeing God answer those prayers. You get that interaction with God. When you fast privately, God gives you insight and wisdom beyond your own to light up your path, to light up your way. And you put all of that together, and it keeps you in tune with God, and it keeps your faith expanding as He interacts with you. And you see him working in your life. The fourth thing that grows your faith is this, personal ministry. God uses personal ministry to grow your faith because when somebody asks you to step out, when Pastor Carlos asks you to step out and go to Juarez, <laughs> or I ask you to go to the Philippines, or we ask you to go feed the hungry, or we ask you to step out and, and teach a Sunday school class, or do something in, in one of the men or women's ministries, some of those intimidating, scary opportunities God uses those scary opportunities to show you that when you step out, he will step up and he will step into your life and he'll give you strength and confidence and power as you step out to serve in faith. He will meet you there and he will empower you there and that expands your faith. The fifth thing that God uses to grow your faith is pivotal circumstances. He uses circumstances to expand your faith. Because when a pivotal circumstance or a pivotal event comes into your life, what's it, what's it cause you to do? It, it forces you to stop 
and look at God once again. God, this is huge. God, I, I don't know how we're going to get through this. And it forces you to stop and look at God. It causes you to maybe even pivot or turn around if you were going the wrong direction, if you were putting your trust in wrong things. It causes you to stop and turn around and start looking at God again and fo following Him again and trusting in Him again. And when you do that, He begins to bless you again. He begins to expand your faith and bless you. And you get to be a part of that. Folks, those are the five most common things that God uses in our lives to help our trust grow in Him more and more. And over the next five Sundays, we're going to unpack these things and we're going to see how God uses these things to build our faith from where it is today into big faith. Just like the faith of the centurion, like the faith of the leper. So folks, the goal of this summer series is to not only help you know about the things that God uses to grow your faith, but to also help you learn how to trust God more and more than you ever have. Because that's God's heart's desire for you. He wants you, his child, his creation, to trust him completely. You parents, do you want your kids to trust you completely? Kids, you want your parents to trust you completely, right? <laughs> God wants you to trust him completely, and we can. And that's his heart's desire. He wants you to trust him, your loving Heavenly Father, who loves you more than you could ever imagine. He wants you to trust Him more and more and more. And why? So that He can do more in you and for you and through you than you've ever dreamed possible. All because of the big faith that you have in Him. All because of the big trust that you now have in Him. All because of the absolute confidence that you have in God the Father. Just like the big faith of the leper and the Roman soldier that astonished Jesus, that amazed Jesus. Wouldn't you like to stop Jesus in his tracks and he'd have to go, whoa, whoa, Paul, that's huge faith. Yeah, Chip, whoa, that's huge faith. Now you're wondering who I'm going to call out. Mark, whoa, huge faith. Wouldn't you love to stop Jesus in his tracks? That's what I'm looking, that's my kid. That's one of my kids. Look at their faith. And now look what I'm going to do in them, for them, and through them because of their faith. Would you bow your heads with me? And would you pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it? Father God, this summer, I commit to not take a vacation from you. A vacation from work is a good thing, Father. But a vacation from you is not. So I commit to draw closer to you this summer. I commit to place my faith my trust in you. I open and offer my whole life to you. You are welcome in my heart. You are welcome in my house. 
You are welcome in all my summer activities. Jesus, Spirit of the living God, God the Father, you are welcome in this place. Lord, let that be our prayer. Whether we vacation this summer at home or at the beach, at the river, at the mountains, God, the desert, wherever you take us, God, wherever you allow us to find some extra rest, we commit. Yeah, to take some rest and some vacation, but we commit to not vacation from you. We welcome you into all that we have and all that we do. You're welcome in this place. And all of God's people said amen.